What I want to talk tonight with the time that we have from the nativity story and the birth of Christ. So I want to talk about the major characters and who they represent in the earth today. There's about eight major characters in the nativity story and all of you will classify as one of them. There will not be one here left that, that you can't identify with. And what that does for us is it causes us to have to figure out how we're going to respond to Jesus Christ. Uh, let me just say a few things about the nativity story. It's only contained in two of the four gospels, Matthew and Luke. Um, it, as an interesting side note, the mother of Jesus had to meet a few biblical criteria. And actually, the closer you study the gospels, really, the more you realize it wasn't dependent upon the woman. It was dependent upon the man. The, I, I'm convinced more and more, we can debate it later theologically, that the virgin was selected based on who she was espoused to. But the virgin, she had to be a virgin because that's what Isaiah 7 said, behold, a virgin will conceive. She had to be espoused because the Christ child would need a father. So it couldn't be a virgin who wasn't espoused, that is engaged or betrothed. So she had to be a virgin, but she had to be engaged because the Christ child needs a father. Children still need fathers to this day. If the son of God needed a father, when he had a heavenly father, even more now, our children do definitely need us as fathers to step up. The espoused husband, which who would become technically in our vernacular the stepdad, he had to be holy and obedient to the law of Moses and of the lineage of David. This is very critical. When you study the lineage of Christ in Matthew and Luke's gospel, it doesn't touch Mary at all. Though Mary contributes the DNA, the lineage comes through uh, his father Joseph which lends me to believe now that really the, spa, um, the, the virgin was selected on the man who was of the lineage of David, who was holy, pure, betrothed, a righteous man, who was espoused or, or betrothed to a young virgin. And that seems to be why Mary was chosen. And that kind of inverts how we've always thought of things. We do have major denominations that put a tremendous emphasis on the virgin Mary, but we do have to remember she did not remain a virgin because she went on to have more children. We also know that uh, the mother, or actually the father, had to be of the lineage of the tribe of David, of the root of Jesse. The nativity story features eight different characters that can be seen to represent humanity today. And as we've said, all of you are going to identify with one of these, and they're not all good characters. But this is how we present the gospel. The gospel means good news, and it's only good news if you realize what the bad news is. The bad news is everybody on planet Earth deserves to go to hell. The bad news is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The bad news is, is that without a savior, we are demonized of our father, the devil, and bound for a demon's hell. And hell lasts forever as heaven does. Hell is eternal, just like heaven is eternal. We're going to see from these characters the interaction with the Christ child, and we can also see how modern man reacts with Jesus Christ and his gospel today. So as we look at these stories and look at these characters, Figure out if you identify, if you uh, correspond, or if you could say in your heart, that's not me at all. And if you can recognize who you are and who you aren't, it may bring you to a, a course of action before we're over with our service tonight. Because everybody needs to react to the gospel. You, you have to do something with Jesus. You can't just ignore him. If you ignore him today, the Bible promises one day your knees will be forced to bend. Because every knee shall bend, every tongue shall confess. You can do it one day before the judgment seat of Christ, or you can choose to willfully do it today, as we saw the children, the three kings, present on bent knee, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The first character we might all aspire to be, but we see that represented in Mary and Joseph. 
and for the sake of our allegories that we're going to carry, Mary and Joseph just represent those by whom the gospel's delivered. In our, in our story, in our perspective tonight, Mary and Joseph, they are those that present the gospel. They, they are the carriers of the gospel, literally in her womb. And then, of course, as parents raising the Lord Jesus through adolescence until he becomes a man. But everybody on the planet Earth is called to be a gospel minister, to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. And in that regard, you're either being preached to or you're doing the preaching. But there is no silence with the gospel. Either you let your light shine or you need the light. We all know the song, we don't hide it under a bushel. No, we have to let it shine. So with those characters introduced, that's the most basic. Let's move on to the second set of characters, and those are the shepherds. These are the first people we meet who have some kind of interaction with Jesus Christ. And we read of their account in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Theology tells us that these shepherds were not in the city of David. They had to travel as well. Some say as many as two days. But here we see in the character of the shepherds, we see the part of humanity that is poor, lowly, not well-respected. Shepherds in the time of Christ were not respected at all. So these are, we might say in our vernacular, working-class folks, poor demographic folks. Uh, they were not expecting the Christ child. We can see that. They were shocked. They were, they were taken aback, and they were terrified. They, what happened was not what they were expecting, but the gospel was presented to them and they decide to go look into it. Even though the angels appeared, it doesn't mean they had to do anything with it. And after the angels disappear, the shepherds begin to say among themselves, let us now go and see this thing that the angels have declared unto us. Had they decided to do nothing, they would have remained anonymous in history. The choice to go and see was still completely theirs to make. But this is what I find. The trip they made was a little inconvenient but not very inconvenient at all. They had to travel. Even if you take it, even if it's just 15 or 20 miles, 30 miles away, it's still about a two days journey. That's not that bad. But even with the poor in the lowest of the world, there's still an inconvenience to pursuing Christ. And this is what our nation doesn't get anymore. This is what our culture doesn't like. We don't like being inconvenienced. But we see that with these lowly folks, they were inconvenienced the least but there was still an inconvenience. We see a corresponding verse to that in James 1.9. Let the brother of low degree exalt in that he is exalted. Here we have the lowest of society. They get to hear the gospel first. They are first on the scene. Yes, inconvenient, but first on the scene, but still a choice to make. So maybe that's you of low degree, but God would extend his gospel to you, but it's still going to be inconvenient. You're still going to have to make a sacrifice to go and see this thing that the messenger tells you about. Our third character are the wise men. And we see their story in Matthew 2, 1 through 13. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. We see a totally different caliber of man here. This is a very wealthy person. This is a very influential person. 
This is a very powerful and honored person, but this person was looking for it. But something about their pedigree, something about their pride, something about their power, uh, it, if they were going to seek God, it was going to be a greater inconvenience. These wealthy magi were still eager to see the same Christ child the shepherds had seen. They were looking for his appearing. But to get Jesus required much preparation because you don't just leave Babylon, which is where they were, Persia, what we would say Iraq slash Iran, travel across the Arabian desert. You don't just do that when the star appears. You have to set your house in order. You have to get permission. You have to set your businesses in order. If you're under a foreign king, you have to set that in order. You have to prepare stockpiles. You have to prepare the caravans. We don't know how many of them there were. We traditionally sing we three kings because of the three gifts. This could have been dozens of kings. I like some of the Renaissance art that paints it as a tremendous caravan, an entourage of hundreds of people. That may very well be what it was like. But you don't just load up hundreds, even dozens of people and say, let's travel across the Arabian desert tomorrow. This isn't like going to grandma's house after service tonight. This takes preparation. We know from the Bible it's at least a four-month journey across the Arabian desert if you know where you're going. And we know that by the time these wise men arise, or arrive to Herod, they've been searching for two years. From the time they saw the star to the time they make it to King Herod and Jerusalem, it's been two years. That is a long time to keep looking for something you want. At most, the shepherds traveled two days. Here we have men so eager, and yet to get what they wanted, they were going to be humbled and inconvenienced. To leave, to leave the convenience of Persia to leave the convenience of wealth and opulence and to be nomads for two years, that takes some humility. You will find that to come to Christ, you will be forced into humility. To come to the cross is humility. And if you won't be humbled, you will be humiliated. We must choose of our own heart and will to humble ourselves before Christ. The fact that these magi, these wise men of great power and influence would come and worship a child because by this time he's a toddler. To come and worship a child took great humility. How many months of preparation and setting of houses in order and seeking permission from territorial kings to pass through their, their, their properties and have an entourage of guards so that you're not robbed? Because if you're bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh and you're traveling in opulence, you're a prime target for bandits. And we see that played out in Nehemiah in the book of Ezra. But we also know that this, these gifts were in preparation for the Egyptian uh, stay, and it financed the Lord Jesus in his trip to Egypt. In this third character of the wise men, we see a verse calling out in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians one twenty six. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many wise, uh, mighty, not many noble are called. This, this is even true to this day. Not many rich, smart people come to Christ. The richer and smarter people are, the less they think they need God. One of the great curses upon America has been our wealth and our education. And America is fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament that when Israel began to prosper, they grew fat and rejected their God and kicked against the God of their salvation. We see that played out in our nation. But not for these wise men. They had it all. And yet they were looking in anticipation for the coming Messiah. Most theologians believe that these men were of the school of Daniel who had been left there in Babylon. 
that these men were following the teachings and the prophecies of the major prophets. And so this, there was a school, a, theo, a school of theology, a seminary, if you will, where they had for 400 years been looking for this Messiah. And when these men found it, they left everything they knew to go find it. Maybe that should be you. Maybe you have all wealth, all inheritance, all, all stocks, all bonds, but have you bothered to sacrifice any of it to find Jesus? Our fourth character is Simeon. He often gets overlooked. We find his story in Luke chapter 2. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This is during the time when Jesus, this is the eighth day of the Lord's life, he has been brought into the temple to be dedicated, to be named, to be circumcised the eighth day of the, according to the tribe of Judah. Simeon is in the temple this same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. This man is looking for the Messiah. Just like the wise men, he's looking, but he's just, he's devout, he's in his proper place. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit of God into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took Simeon him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let thou thy servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Here we have a different kind of character, a holy, devout Jew. He's laity. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's not a king. He's just laity. He's just what we call common folk, but he's holy and he's seeking after God. And something about this man's humility literally has the Christ child put in his arms. Can you imagine? I mean, the last thing this man gets to do is hold baby Jesus as a total stranger to Mary and Joseph. He happens because he serves God to be in the right place at the right time, obeying the Holy Spirit his entire life. And he's heard from the Holy Spirit. You'll not die till you see the promise of the prophets. And he turns around and there's the child. What a shock for him. You mean it's going to be a baby? But yet this man knew the Holy Ghost. He knew the voice of God. He didn't even question the child. We, we thought maybe he'd come in on a horse. He'd be a soldier. But he saw it. This is the consolation of God, the consolation of Israel. This is laity. This represents laity that is just and devout, patient, filled with the Holy Ghost, hungry for the promises of God and spirit-led. And for Simeon, the Christ child was brought to him in person. It, he, he was almost, it wasn't even inconvenienced. It was just there. Didn't have to travel. This is what he did anyway. For a lot of people, going to church every Sunday is tremendously inconvenient. Getting up, going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night is so horribly inconvenient. Though we are so blessed to have automobiles, air conditioning, even if it's snowing, we have heat in the cars, we have heat in the buildings. Some Americans find it so horribly inconvenient. And then there are some Christians who their car just drives on autopilot to church. This is just where they live. And for those, you never know what the Lord Jesus Christ will do when you turn around and you happen to be in the right place at the right time. This man was looking for it. He would have happily died without ever seeing it. But this is, this is a reward for those that find themselves in the house of God, just, devout, holy, full of the Spirit of God, looking for the redemption of God Almighty. It's an interesting character, and hopefully more and more believers will be like him. He's not like the, the shepherds. The shepherds were totally ignorant. He's not like the wise men. He didn't have to travel far. He was where he was supposed to be. Character number five is Anna, the prophetess. 
And she's found in Luke chapter 2 as well, right after the story of Simeon. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about four score and four years. So she'd been a widow 84 years, which departed not from the temple. Here's another woman who doesn't leave church. We, I'm a pastor. We, we have to pull teeth to get Christians to come to church. Here's a woman of God that doesn't leave church. Which do you think pleases Jesus Christ? Those that never come or those that never leave? You know the answer. But she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant. Now think, here's another one. Right place at the right time. We just see Simeon hold the Christ child, bless the Christ child, and prophesy salvation for the Gentiles, which nobody saw yet but the prophets. That had been spoken of since Isaiah and Jeremiah. But here's Simeon. He's prophesying it, but he's not a prophet. And in that exact moment, the prophetess who never leaves happens to walk in at the right moment. And it says, And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. It doesn't even say she touches the child. She just walks in because she doesn't leave the house of God. She's always fasting and praying. She instantly knows that's the Christ child. That's the Messiah. Her eyes have seen it. And the next thing the verse says is she goes and speaks of him to all that look for redemption in Jerusalem. She begins to prophesy. She begins to preach. She begins to evangelize. We might argue she's the first evangelist in the Bible. This represents ministers. The first uh, Simeon was laity. This represents the ministers serving God in the house of God with fastings and prayings and holiness. She, they get to conveniently walk in and see the prophecies of Christ. For Anna, she spake of him to all who look for redemption in Israel, and only to those because you know not everyone was looking for redemption in Israel. But it says specifically, she spoke of Jesus to those that looked for redemption. She knew who she could share. She was already fulfilling the parable, don't cast pearls before swine. She knew exactly what to do with her experience. Share it. Amen. That brings us to our sixth character evil King Herod. <laughs> we find him in Matthew chapter 2. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. Isn't that an interesting? You hear about Jesus being near and it troubles you. This is true for a lot of people. When he had heard of these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Why all of a sudden is he interested in the Bible now? And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art now the least, art not the least among the princes of Judah. And out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, Bring me word that I may come and worship him also. It's interesting. All of a sudden, because he feels threatened, he's interested in knowing the Bible and proclaiming the Bible. He's interested now in following the instructions of the Bible because his domain is threatened. His kingship is threatened. His stability is threatened. Isn't that a lot of Christians, a lot of pagans? Only when everything is threatened do they seek God, but not with proper motive. And this represents... 
hopefully not you, but the pompous, the corrupt, the wicked, those that are threatened in life. He sought out the truth of the scriptures, but with impure motives. He found Christ in the scriptures, but he never went to see him face to face himself. He found Christ in the scriptures. He found Christ's infant bed, but never bothered to go himself. He wanted to, he's almost like those in the gospels that came for the fishes and loaves, but never stuck around to see Jesus face to face. This describes a lot of people today. Even his ruthless act of infanticide was unsuccessful. He, he destroyed every baby in Bethlehem under the age of two, trying to wipe out the Christ child. Even that was unsuccessful. He died having never met Jesus, but he heard about him and he knew where to find him. Think about that gospel principle. He heard about Jesus. He knew where to find him. He knew he was in the word and he knew he was real. He was so convinced of his existence, he sought to destroy him. He died without having ever met him. That will describe a lot of people in this world today. He fulfills scripture as well, this character. Isaiah chapter 8, prophesying of Christ, says, He will keep you safe, but to Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that will make them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Herod was in Jerusalem. Many will fall and be broken, never to rise again. They will be snared and captured. What a fulfilling prophecy, first in Herod. Our seventh character, we're almost done, are the Egyptians. We find them mentioned just briefly in Matthew 2, 13 and 14. The Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and says, flee, go to Egypt, for Herod shall seek the child's life. And so Joseph gets his wife and his child and they mount up taking the gold, frankincense and myrrh and they boogie on down to Egypt to flee. And when they were departed, behold, the angel Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Most historians agree that that would have been two to three years. They spent the first two to three years of the child's life in Egypt, which would probably correspond when they come back, the wise men find him as a, a toddler after the Egyptian. Uh, you know, you got to work out all these Bible uh, chronologies here. And so um, anyway, these represent the Gentiles, the world and unsuspecting people because the Egyptians, they weren't, they've always represented the world in the Bible. They weren't looking for Christ. They didn't know they needed one. They didn't know they needed a savior, a Messiah. They didn't know they needed a king. But here he was in their midst for years. And he, he dwelt among them. He had to take refuge there because the kings of the earth were already beginning to reject him. And even we could even see with Herod, even though he was a, a, a Gentile, even the kings of Israel were beginning to reject him. And he'd never even come into his ministry yet. But we see with the Egyptians, we see a fulfillment of prophecy. Romans 10, 19 says, But I, I say, did not Israel know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And by a foolish nation, I will anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Wouldn't that be Egypt? I was found of them that did not seek after me. 
I was found of them that ask not after me. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't even know what this is all about. And here you are, an Egyptian in Cookville. And Christ is in your midst, the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't even know what you're looking for. But God does. And he wants to give you salvation. Our final character, and this is where we're probably going to hit a lot of people in our region, maybe even our church family, are the Nazarenes. Not the, not the denomination. I know Pastor Stephen. He's a good man. <laughs> no, no, not, not the denomination. The Nazarenes, that's Jesus' hometown. That's where he grew up after he fled to Egypt and came back and the wise men found him. Matthew 2, 23, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. That doesn't mean that's the church Jesus prefers to attend. If that's the case, then John is a Baptist. And so we have to make sure we remember as Americans, our denominations are less than 200 years old. It's very easy to become pompous and arrogant when you find your denomination's name in the Bible, but your denomination was made in the 19th century and the Bible was written in the first century. I kid you not, this ignorance abounds in our culture. Amen. John the Baptist was not a Southern Baptist. Jesus the Nazarene, which is a song the Baptists sing, is not a song of the Baptists promoting the Nazarene denomination. Jesus the Nazarene. <laughs> oh, Lord, help his people. These are people who were around Jesus his whole life as he grew and matured. These are people with whom the sin of familiarity set in. And when he wanted to help them, they rejected him even as an adult. Even as Mark said of Jesus when he returned to his hometown, there he could do no miracle or healing because of their unbelief. Now we find a verse here that answers. This affects most church people. You're in church so much. You're around Jesus, you don't even see him for who he is anymore. You're around the gospel so much, you hear it so much, you don't even hear the truth that's in it anymore. It's very easy for born-again believers, churchgoers, to become Nazarenes and have Jesus Christ in our midst and just not even realize the greatness that is there. It's called the sin of familiarity. But Romans 10, 21 condemns it. It says, but to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and a gainsaying people. It's possible to be in the presence of Jesus, to be brought up with him, and he not be able to do anything in your life because you're just too familiar. That's just the church. That's just the altar. That's just the gospel. That's just Sunday morning. That's just Sunday night. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're a Nazarene, not in a good sense. That's the character we see here. So this leaves us with some questions to ask. Which of these characters do you identify with? What, what fits you? What fits your heart? What fits your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you born again? Can you say, I'm, I'm more like a Simeon or an Anna, or I'm more like a wise man. I'll go as far as it takes to meet God and bless him and be used of him. Or are you more like the shepherds? I'm not even really sure what to do. This whole thing freaks me out, but I want help. Or maybe you're Herod. You only want help when your life is threatened, but you don't really want to help God. You want to destroy him. Or maybe a Nazarene. You've been in church for so long, it's just all numb to you. Are you like the humble, eager shepherds or the wealthy but hungry wise men? Are you like the Egyptians, not really knowing what you've been missing, but you know you're missing something in life, and that something is Jesus Christ? 
Or maybe you're like the Nazarenes. You've been around Jesus all your life in church, but you fail to see the significance of all, all of it. How we respond to Jesus Christ completely affects how he responds to us. He can do all things, but it doesn't mean he can do all things in you. The testimony of Nazareth when Jesus Christ returned is, and there he could do, he could do no mighty deed except he lay his hands on a few sick folk. That's totally different to what he said everywhere else he went. How we respond to Jesus Christ every day of our life, not just Christmas, not just Christmas Eve, but every day of our life, it affects how he's able to respond to us. He says he is near to all those that call out to him with a pure heart. If he seems distant, it's your fault. It's my fault. When I was a backslidden 18-year-old, I was raised in church. My parents took me to church. I got born again in church. They gave me no options. One, one of my fellow preacher friends in town says he grew up with a drug issue. He was drugged to church. I shared the same drug addiction. I was drugged to church. We were taught to tithe. We were, I was water baptized as a child. But I backslid in between high school and college. And what brought me back to Christ from a little attitude, sassy mouth, pseudo-pagan, backslidden Baptist was God seemed distant and it made me mad. And I had a friend that would pray for me that I'd rededicate my life. And that the epiphany, the, 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 the uh, duh moment was when I realized if God seems distant, he's not the one that's moved. It's me. And if I'll return to him, he'll be close again. He's near unto all those that call upon his name with a pure heart, not a Herod's heart, a pure heart. Not everyone appreciated or recognized Jesus for who he was and who he is. How many folks came into contact with Jesus and totally missed what he was? Please hear me this Christmas Eve. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only name given unto us whereby we can be saved. And so, even though we're celebrating the birth of Christ in this holiday season, it's the birth that signifies the beginning of peace for those that please God. And if you're not born again, you don't have peace. If you're a backslidden Christian, you don't have peace. There is a peace that passes understanding. Jesus Christ acknowledged in the Gospel of John, I give you peace, not as the world gives peace. We acknowledge there's a worldly peace, but it's so temporal, so finite, so fickle. He says, I give you peace that passes all understanding. There are two types of peace available in the earth, the peace of God and the peace of the world. And you don't want the peace of the world. It will not last it's so dependent on money and friendships and everything being just perfect. And if, if 2020 has taught us nothing, it's that there isn't much peace to be had in this earth. But those of us that are born again that have served Jesus Christ through 2020, it's been pretty smooth sailing. We've had days of heaven on earth in our homes and in our hearts. If you're here tonight and you are not born again, those are the words Jesus Christ used in the Gospel of John. If you are not born again, you need to be. Jesus Christ said, whatever is born of heaven is, is born again. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Whatever is born of water, that is the virgin birth, or excuse me, the birth and the water bursting. Some say water baptism. But he says, if you're not born again, you're not born of God, born from above. You must be born again. Amen. Romans chapter 10 tells you to believe in your heart 
and confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as Lord and you will be saved. Corinthians tells us you'll be made a new creature in Christ. Old things will pass away. Would to God that was all of us having old things. I've been born again since I was seven and there's things I did in my teenage years. I think, man, I'm glad that's passed away. I can't imagine not having it passed away and having more than just memories of it. You need this peace and it's available to you. Amen.